0: But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and holy, without love and forgiving, slanderous without self-control, brutal not lovers of the good, treasures, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from emphasis you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be truly equipped for every good work. This is the Word of God. You may be seated.
1: Why is what we believe about the Bible so important? Well, if this book does come from the mouth of God and it tells us who God is, then where else can we go? If we're supposed to know this God, if Christians are supposed to be people of the book, then this is the only reliable guide that we have to know who this God is. And if God teaches us what is good, what is right, and what is true, then this is the only way to know what God says about that. Christians are to live as people of the book. But not only that, if life is meant to be lived with God, then the only way we know how to get to God is through the Jesus that's revealed in this book. So in order to live life with God, we know that this book is unique in its importance. Well, amen to that, Pastor Jeff Leo. He said it very well. And I hope that you have taken the opportunity to spend some time in our small group curriculum. And and that's just a little clip uh, from a great teaching video and curriculum that is part of our shared faith emphasis in, in these weeks. So I hope you're doing that. Pastor Jeff said, if this book does come from the mouth of God and it tells us who God is, then where else can we go? In some ways, this statement of our statement of faith is foundational to all the others. What is the basis for what we believe about God and what he is like? It's in the Bible. What is the basis for what we believe about Jesus, the problem of sin and the way of salvation? It's in the Bible. What is the basis for what we believe about the church and its mission in the world? Say it with me. It's in the Bible. What is the basis for what we believe about the future and destiny of every person on the planet? It's in the Bible. So it makes sense that we have a strong statement of our belief about the authority of the Bible when it comes to what we believe and how we live. This is an essential element of our shared faith. But it's also important because Not everyone agrees with us. In fact, Jesus himself warned us that we who believe this will be in the minority. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, it may not have been what Robert Frost meant, but we know what it feels like when he said, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I assume that most of us in the room have made the decision to choose the road of following Jesus Christ. A decision to enter through the narrow gate and travel a narrow road that most people around us have not chosen. Now, Jesus also said about this road that in this world, you will have trouble. This road is not easy to navigate. Now, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you know the journey that Christian has to travel is fraught with difficulty and danger. It's not for the faint of heart. Now, you don't have to read that book to discover this. Just try following Jesus for a season and you will discover it for yourself. Now, for those who choose the road less traveled, the narrow gate, it does lead to life. Hallelujah. But it is also a dangerous journey because we live in a fallen world. So these observations seem pretty obvious that... We live in a dangerous world. There are many things in our world that are broken. There is a great need for redemption. There is very real opposition to God's work and God's people. The family is under attack. There is corruption in government and business. There is even compromise in the church. People struggle to find answers to life's big questions Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I going with? There are many competing philosophies of life and many obstacles out there that want to confuse us so that we do not know the truth. Now this is not a new problem. This was true in the day of Jesus. This was true in the days of the early church. It is the concern that the Apostle Paul has when he writes this letter to Timothy, to a young pastor who was serving in the city of Ephesus. And in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, he says, Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. And we're going to look at this concern in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in just a moment. But first, I want you to consider a phenomenon that illustrates this concern I've shared this in a few of our adult classes, so forgive me for the repetition, but I believe there is a moral and spiritual fog in our world today um, that is blinding people from the truth so that right and wrong are confused. And this moral fog creates a situation that I call spiritual vertigo. Let me explain. Now, First, do we have any pilots here? Anybody a pilot? We had a bunch in the first service. You will understand this illustration. There is an actual physical phenomenon called vertigo, which can occur in a number of contexts, but is most dangerous when it happens to a pilot. It's a phenomenon of disorientation when your body and your senses lose touch with reality. So our body has a complex system of indicators to tell us up from down and keep us oriented to our environment. It's it's how we keep our balance. And the primary sense which helps us to do this is our vision. Now, when our vision is impaired, we depend on other senses, including our inner ear, to help us stay balanced. Now, a pilot most often gets vertigo, when he has lost visual reference to the ground. It could happen in a storm, in the clouds, in the fog, or in darkness. And in this situation, even slight movements of the plane will affect the inner ear, which will then send messages to the brain that conflict with reality. So this is what happens. The pilot may feel that he is flying in a level-forward position when in reality he is descending in what is called a graveyard spin. It's a very dangerous situation for a pilot. And there is only one thing that will save the pilot. It is a conscious decision to look at his instruments and to trust them. Every sensation in his body will want to tell him he's okay, but the instruments will be telling him he's in trouble. What will the pilot trust? His feelings or the facts, his instruments? It's a life or death decision. Now, do you already see the spiritual parallel? The evidence is abundant, and Scripture teaches us clearly that we live in a world that is in a moral and spiritual fog. People have rejected and been blinded to the truths of God. This is why when someone trusts Christ, it has to be the work of God in their life because He has to open their eyes and enable them to see Him and the truth of the gospel. Now, we know that this spiritual vertigo has a tight grip on an unbelieving world. But it can also creep up on the church and impair a church's vision or an individual believer's vision in such a way that they lose sight of the truth. Now, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that this will not be a problem for the church that is mature, that is fulfilling God's calling for them. But if a church is not mature, if we are infants spiritually, he says that we can be tossed back and forth by the waves of spiritual vertigo. We will be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. So if you have your Bibles, open to the book of Second Timothy. And we're going to work our way to chapter 3. But I want you to look at chapter 1 first. There is a reason why Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, Timothy... What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, you don't need to guard something unless there's a threat. And Paul is telling Timothy that there is a great threat to the truth. A threat to the gospel. There are those who simply do not believe. But even worse. There are false teachers who distort the truth. This is why Paul tells Timothy in chapter 2 verse 15. Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth this is not an empty warning it means that it is possible to incorrectly handle the word of truth it's why James warns people about becoming teachers of God's word because teachers will be judged more severely Paul has very good reason to be concerned and friends so should we today a believer or even an entire church can experience spiritual vertigo and it can veer off course when it loses sight of the truths that God intended for it or when a false teacher leads it astray. So how do we avoid spiritual vertigo as we navigate this narrow road to life? Just like the pilot, we have to learn to trust our instruments, the Word of God. And we have to learn to handle the Word of God correctly. No matter what the world around us is saying, no matter what I may be feeling inside, no matter what even other Christians are saying, I have to know and understand and believe the Word of God more than anything else. Do you believe this? Now we come to Second Timothy chapter 3. This passage begins with the phrase, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Many of us would say those days are here. And in verses 1 to 13, Paul outlines for us the spiritual climate that we face in these last days. And in this section, Paul lists over 20 vices that characterize people in this time of stress. The essence of the list can be summed up in Paul's use of the word love and how it has been misdirected. He says people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like our world today? In many ways, this describes the leading ethic of our culture today and a significant contributor to the spiritual fog. I've seen it especially in working with young people, but I don't say that so much anymore because I think it's true of our culture in general now. And it's called relativism and consequentialism. Both of those have to do with how we determine what is right and wrong. So relativism... Or moral relativism says there are no absolute rights and wrongs. Is it right to do such and such? Well, it depends. It depends on the situation, depends on the culture, depends on the individual. And we can't impose our morality on others. It's characterized by this kind of response. Well, I'm opposed to such and such but I think people should be able to decide for themselves. Now, beyond the ethic of relativism is something I believe is even more significant and prevalent in our culture, and that is consequentialism. Consequentialism basically says an act is not right or wrong in and of itself, but by virtue of its consequences. So the rightness or wrongness of an act is determined by the amount of good that that act produces. And today, the most common good which determines the rightness of an act is pleasure. If it feels good, it must be right. Well, if it feels bad, it must be wrong. And when the morality of an act is determined by the amount of pleasure over pain, this morality is closely associated with hedonism. When you're flying in a plane, in a storm, vertigo can sneak up on you, and before you know it, down is up and up is down. And in spiritual vertigo, right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. Evil is good and good is evil. Do you ever feel like that's what's going on today? If ever there was a proverb for our culture to pay attention to, it's Proverbs 16:25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Have you ever tried to explain God to someone who is entrenched in the spiritual fog? It's tough. Try talking about sin, accountability to God, absolute truth, the need for forgiveness, that Jesus is the only way to God. I tell you, they'll think you're crazy. At the very least, they'll see you as narrow-minded. But don't be surprised if you are persecuted for it. Look at what Paul tells Timothy in verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse it's not getting better friends we're in a storm we're in a cloud a spiritual darkness that has impaired our vision and our visual reference to absolute truth and eternity is obstructed by sin But in the end, truth will prevail. The mountain and the ground will not move for the pilot that's in vertigo. Oh, get out of his way. It's not going to move. And neither will God's truth for those who are in spiritual vertigo. So, again, how do we avoid disaster? Just as the pilot that's in a cloud cannot always see the ground, so we, because of sin and life in a fallen world, even as followers of Jesus, okay, we cannot always trust our instincts to make wise decisions. In these situations, we must trust our instruments and our gauges. And friends, here it is. The Bible is your instrument, your gauge. It's your compass to guide you and direct you. Look at what Paul tells Timothy in verse 14. But as for you, Paul is telling Timothy listen, Timothy, everyone else might be doing something else. They're all in vertigo and they're headed for disaster. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's telling Timothy, and he's telling all of us, we can trust our instruments. The Word of God, because all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I have been personally very convicted by this lately. It's so easy to want to fly by sight, to trust our feelings, especially if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. You know, it's good to know that the instruments are there when you need them, but it's easier to just fly by what we can see and to trust our gut instincts. It's like an experienced pilot. Of a small aircraft they usually fly almost completely by sight but when a storm rolls in they can be caught in a situation where their vision is impaired and if they are not accustomed to using the instruments in the good times they may still tend to trust their gut instincts their feelings and then vertigo can set in then we hear about a plane crash on the news And then the NTSB has to come in and figure out what happened. Now, here's the really dangerous thing about vertigo. Sorry, this illustration, it just keeps on giving. (laughs) When a pilot recognizes he's in vertigo, he sees what the instruments are telling him, and he responds in faith by adjusting the flight of the plane. That's what it is it's a decision of faith that those instruments are telling me the truth and he adjusts the flight so that the instruments are telling him that the plane is flying correctly. Guess what his body is going to tell him? You're going to crash. Don't trust the instruments. This doesn't feel right. You see, his body has acclimated to the graveyard spin and now that he is flying level, his body body feels like it's spinning well often this is how it feels when we choose to live by faith and follow God in a dark and dangerous world some of you are feeling this way right now some people you know perhaps someone in your family has decided to follow Jesus they've read his word they've they've righted the plane But now they feel like they're spinning out of control. And the temptation is this. The temptation is to go back to the old way of living. It sure felt more comfortable, but it was a death trap. In the last few years, I've participated in several discipleship groups with dozens of men here at Lake. And one of the things we do with one another is memorize scripture, and we encourage one another to spend time every day reading and reflecting on God's word, having a quiet time or personal devotion time. Many of these men have been Christians for a long time. Some of them are leaders here at Lake, but practicing those simple disciplines has been hard disciplining ourselves to fly by our instruments, even when the skies seem to be clear. It's been revolutionary for many of these men. It has been for me. So I want to identify some dangers that you need to avoid, dangers that can lead to spiritual vertigo. And the first is isolation. You need people beside you in the cockpit of life. To encourage you, to point you to the scriptures for teaching you, rebuking you, correcting you, and training you so that you can make right decisions. I hope that you do this for one another in your small groups or in the places where you serve because vertigo is most common and potentially fatal when we are isolated and alone and no one is beside us to tell us, hey, look at the instruments. We're heading down. This is not good. If you don't have somebody beside you to point you in that direction, it's easy to deceive ourselves. This is why we keep emphasizing the need for you to be connected, to be in community with others as you follow Jesus. If you don't have people like that in your life, you are in danger. Let us help you. We want to help you connect, to find those relationships, other people who will encourage you, who will spur you on, who will help you. So let us help you. Come talk to me. Come talk to others at the Connect banner or the pastors up front here. You don't need to do this alone. Second danger, biblical illiteracy. I want to read you some statements from the Barner Research Group, um, some research they did a while back. It probably won't come as a surprise to any of you. Uh, They identified six mega-themes. This was back in 2010. And the first theme was this. The Christian church is becoming less theologically literate. They go on to state what used to be basic, universally known truths about Christianity are now unknown mysteries to a large and growing share of Americans. Especially young adults. They go on to say, as the younger generations ascend to numerical and positional supremacy in churches across the nation, the data suggest that biblical literacy is likely to decline significantly. This is a problem. When the spiritual storms come, and I think we can say with certainty they are here, what are you going to trust? your feelings, your friends' Facebook comments, what's trending on Twitter, or the Word of God. Get to know your instruments so that you can trust them when the storms come. Memorize it, study it, be equipped to handle it correctly. Psalm 119 says this, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Purity. I'm living according to your word. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love what Moses told the Israelites at the end of his life in Deuteronomy 32. He gathered the whole nation together to remind them of God's truth, his commands, and his promises to them. So he recites the entire law to them. And I have to admit, that doesn't sound like it was probably a thrilling experience. (laughs) But what he says at the end pierces my heart. It challenges me in how we view the Word of God. In Deuteronomy 32, verses 45 to 47, it says this. When Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. These are not just idle words for you. Friends, This Word of God is your life. The third danger to avoid is mysticism. In the heat of the storm, what will you trust? I tell you, every bone in your body may be telling you one thing, and the Word of God may be telling you another. Do you know what you call it when a pilot trusts their instruments over their feelings? It's faith. It's really what it is. Do you know what you call it when a person trusts the word of God over their feelings or what anyone else might be saying? I call it living by faith. And this is where a kind of mysticism can be a real danger. Faith is not like the force in Star Wars. Feel the force, Luke. It's also not a blind leap of faith. Into the darkness and unknown. Well, you just got to have faith as though our sincerity and the strength of our belief is what will get us through. Okay, that's dangerous. Let me illustrate this. What if I told you that I don't believe in gravity? What if I step to the edge of this platform, and that's not too dangerous, but what if I step to the edge of the roof? And stepped off. What would happen? Well, last night someone said, search committee. (laughs) But, wait a minute. Maybe you didn't hear me. I sincerely don't believe in gravity. Does that help? No. Now, this may shock you to hear this in church. But in the end, it doesn't matter how sincere your belief is. What matters is reality. It's the object of your belief that matters. Is it real or not? If this Bible is not true, it doesn't matter how much I believe it. But if it is true then my belief makes all the difference in the world, right? Now, gravity is a physical law of the universe, okay? So if we ignore it or choose not to believe it, we will suffer the consequences. A pilot who's experiencing vertigo feels fine. He may sincerely believe that he's okay, but he's going to crash if he trusts those feelings. He needs to check his instruments. He needs to act on the truth no matter how much he believes he is fine or he will die. Now, the laws of gravity are obvious to all of us, but what if there are laws like gravity in the moral and spiritual realm of life? Relativism and consequentialism say, no, there aren't. But if there are, How do we know what those moral and spiritual laws are? Is there something that can help us to see the reality in the midst of the storm? A pilot has his instruments, but is there something that can point us to the reality in the moral and spiritual realm? Yes, because God is there and he is not silent. He has communicated truth to us. Truth about life, truth about right and wrong, truth about you and me, how we are made and our eternal destiny. He has given us answers to the questions we long to have answered. Is there a purpose to my life? What happens when you die? What is God like? What does he think about me? This is good news. The answers to these questions are right here in the Bible. And we'll be examining the answers to some of these questions and what we believe based on the Bible in the next eight weeks. Friends, these are the instruments God has given us to guide us towards the truth in the midst of the moral storm that we live in. Why would you trust anything other than these facts to answer those important questions? And this is why... It is one of the essential items of our shared faith that we believe that God has spoken through the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. God, His work, and His ways are revealed through the Bible, truly, though surely not exhaustively. As the inspired Word of God, it is without error in the original writings the complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority for what we believe and for how we live. Therefore, therefore, the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Do you believe that? Then let us pray. Lord, give us strength and courage and perseverance to continue in what we have learned and have become convinced of because we know those from whom we learned it and how for many of us here from infancy we have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus Help us, Lord, to not only know your truth and your word, but to obey it and teach it to one another, to rebuke when needed, to correct and train one another so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen.